everybody. Welcome, welcome to a special season of Abolitionist Lent Bible Study. This Lenten season, we are continuing uh, our Advent practice of inviting people across traditions and mediums to explore themes of revelation, disruption, examination, and embodiment in ways that will support a larger faith movement, reimagining restorative solutions to community health, safety, and wellness. So abolition means not just the closing of prisons and ending of policing, but putting into place the vital systems of support that many communities are systematically disenfranchised from. Abolition is Lent. It's not a solo project. It's a collaboration between some organizations and amazing folks, including Fellowship of Reconciliation, More Like Presbyterians, and the Presbyterian Peace Fellowship, and additional thought partners, Reverend Lindsay Anderson, Miles Markham, Minister Candace Simpson, and Reverend Amanda Barclay. So we invite you to continue joining us throughout this season of Lent as we define, explore, reflect, and take action to further the inbreaking of abolition into this world. Because we are reading the lectionary about 10 days ahead, today I'm excited to be exploring our text for Palm Sunday, Mark 11, 1 through 11, through the theme of uniting with Samantha Davis. Samantha, we're so glad to have you here with us. It's an honor. And we'd love to begin by having you introduce your name, pronouns, work, and identities, because we know those are with us everywhere, especially when we encounter the biblical texts. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Alex. Uh, thanks to everyone uh, watching and leaning into this conversation of abolition. Um, and I hope that you all are actively working on um, learning, but also unlearning all of the various ways that we've been conditioned um, around this particular topic. So um, I am Samantha Davis, Samantha Page Davis. I use she, they pronouns. Um, I am a black woman. I am a black Presbyterian woman um, who grew up in Pittsburgh, PA um, in a historically black Presbyterian church, um, Grace Memorial uh, Presbyterian Church um, in the Hill District of Pittsburgh. I live in Washington, DC. It is my home. I've been here for about 12 years now where I am a abolitionist. I am an abolitionist. I um, am a black feminist who works in policy at, um, at the intersection of race and gender identity. Um, and so I am committed to through that and for the sake of liberation, um, investing in Black youth who are often the most marginalized um, in our country um, and, in, and throughout the world. Um, I do that by building Black power, which involves dismantling systems of oppression, um, truth telling. Um, and I also am like an avid believer in joy um, and being able to show up as your full authentic self um, in a joyous way um, and in a way that centers uh, my own um, and our own humanity. Um, in addition to that, identities, I guess those are all identities um, that are closely rooted to me, but I like to name that I'm a plant mom. You can this is just one of the dozens of plants throughout my tiny one-bedroom apartment. Um, I have a dog, Prince, who you will certainly hear from, I'm sure, um, throughout our conversation. Um, and I get my energy from nature. So it is not um, odd for you to see me in a cabin or on a trail somewhere just soaking up all of the wonders um, that God has, has offered. Amen. Thank you, Samantha. I appreciate that bringing all of who you are and, and the work that you get to do in the world um, with us. Thank you. So y'all know I'm Alex Patrick McNeil. My pronouns are he, him. I always love a person who uses all three names. Let's claim it, the middle name, um, and uh, serve as executive director at More Light Presbyterians, where I think a lot of our work really focuses on fine tuning our imaginations for liberation and welcoming practices of abundance and the inbreaking of a new way of being, a new way of being church, a new way of being community, um, and centering justice for the marginalized at the core of that. And what liberation is possible without that, I don't know. Um, so entwining those two together very closely um, is part of I think, the sacred work I feel called to doing in all kinds of spaces. And 
I've been amazed at the way this podcast has invited us to think about scripture differently. Um, and even noticing the times when some folks who are guests come on hesitantly about even like encountering a particular scripture or even a writer like Paul. And we end in a place of, whoa, liberation really is possible even in these texts. It's part of God's story all along. And I think that's such a vital piece of not just imagining abolition, but noticing the ways in which our world has been set up from the beginning towards abolition and liberation. So I appreciate just who you are in that work too. Um, yeah. So I, uh, I think my other identities as a white transgender man, born and raised in North Carolina, but had a journey away from it. I was just um, sharing with Samantha that I lived in DC for eight years and miss it. Um, but I'm glad to be back here kind of doing organizing in the South around what's possible when a collective of queer people of color and radicalized folks try and reclaim a, a, a space around um, remembering some of the actual core values of who we can be together. So that said, I'm excited to dig into this text together. It's Palm Sunday. It's, um, we're not right, waving palm fronds in this one, but um, I'm excited to explore the theme of uniting in, in our first reading together. So in our first reading, we're gonna read the text, Mark 11, one through 11. And um, the first question that we'll explore is what stands out to us and, and what do we notice even in a familiar text that we might see anew? So Samantha, would you be willing to read it for us for the first time? And the text reads, when they were approaching Jerusalem at Bethpage and Bethany, near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village ahead of you and immediately as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Unite it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Just say this, the Lord needs it and will send it back here immediately. They went away and found a colt tied near a door outside the street. As they were untying it, some of the bystanders said to them, what are you doing untying that colt? They told them what Jesus had said, and they allowed them to take it. Then they brought the cult to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut in the fields. Then those who went ahead and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David, Hosanna in the highest heaven. Then he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. Thank you. I'm curious what stood out to you as you read it through this time. Yeah, the biggest, the, the thing that stood out to me most and I hesitate because I'm like, I, I don't know why this came to me, is like just what that one action made possible, mm -hmm. right? The one action that people were questioning, that people didn't quite understand, um, that for the doer felt so clear, it, it made possible, like literally made a path forward for Jesus to be able to do the work mm -hmm. um, that he, he was sent to do. Mm. Yeah, Jesus was super clear about what needed to happen. Mm -hmm. He's like, go find this cult. We're gonna ride it in. And and yeah, even though some were like, I don't know, that's a good idea, Jesus. Or what are you what are you trying to do? Um, that's interesting. It's funny what stood out to me is we talked about the theme of uniting, and what I noticed was the theme of untying, of going, and how sometimes you know if I'm in writing uniting too fast, I will write untying it like I can get messed up in my letters there and um, that they're they're going to untie the cult and um, what I noticed actually was that it had never been written and how that's kind of scary Jesus like we don't know we don't know what this kind of cult is capable of it could be a wild 
a wild one. It could try and bite you. It could be, I don't know, run away with you. But Jesus is very clear that it has to be this kind of cult, which I read actually some of the definition of cult is a baby donkey. It's not even like a full grown donkey. Like a cult is a small animal, but they were specifying as a baby donkey. And I love that as relating to Jesus doing something new. This is so brand new. No one's seen it before. No one's ridden it before. This isn't Jesus coming into to Jerusalem on a war horse or some kind of like monarchy symbol. Instead, it's like the new, the brandest, newest, babyest donkey that you've ever seen. And and yet Jesus is so clear, like you're saying, of what he needs to do here. Yeah, absolutely. That piece around the unknown, I think is so closely tied to, to abolition um, and, and kind of the fear that is induced by it or in, invoked by it is we have not, we have yet to see the world that we're, we're dreaming up. Um, and that's scary. And it's really relying on us as it was re- relying on the folk and the text to trust and believe um, in this vision. That's right. Yeah. And yet I think what I've been so appreciative of over my years of kind of really exploring abolition and, and leaning into abolition more deeply is there are folks who are clear about what needs to happen and like the way we can we can move forward in abolition and I think for me a, a practice has been noticing in myself like am, am I when am I the, per- the person questioning that or like right. for what purpose and is it because I'm afraid is it because it's something I've never seen before, or I think it should be done another way. I think the disciples and and the villagers of Jerusalem thought a Messiah would come in all triumphant, all like an uh, honor and glory. And and here Jesus is saying, and it isn't going to go that way. Um, it's not supposed to go that way, actually. Yeah, absolutely. The and I know we have other questions. Actually, I'll wait because it's gonna it's gonna answer this other question. Oh yeah. Well, okay. Well, you know, I'm just yeah. I'm I'm curious in this text where you see folks uniting. Yeah. Um, so there was the part which also adds to like the resistance, which I was gonna get into, is that's the action to do it. So yeah, there was hesitance. There was some questions around why we were doing this, but the decision to say like, okay, go ahead. Um, let's, we, ha- we have this clear directive, we trust and believe um, in the person who made that directive. And so we want to unite to make this happen. Um, one place, the resistance that's coming up with me there is, um, and not in no way um, to diminish the ways that Jesus was ridiculed um, and persecuted, but there was some level of recognition that we believe and trust in this person. Um, And because it is Jesus, we are going. And so I'm really curious to know if it weren't Jesus, would people still unite in the way that they did? Um, And I connect that to Thing about the work that I do here in DC, we're a part of the the defund the police coalition nationwide. We're calling to remove police from schools. We um, right, we're, we're calling that we don't invest seven hundred million dollars into new jails. Like all of these these things right. that young black queer people are calling for, and when it comes out of our mouths, it's questioned. Yeah. Um, but when other leaders have say it, said it at this point, whether or not people act on it, it's like, oh, the mayor said this, or mm-hmm. yeah. right, or Angela Davis, who I love, um, or Angela Davis is, is saying about it. So there must be some legitimacy around it. And so the part of the resistance, while I appreciate it, is it matters so much. Unity feels so closely tied to who is the person um, making the directive yeah. that, as you can see, it frustrates me. Ooh, that's so good. I, that's such an important noticing because I think in, in, in one sense, Jesus is coming through at this moment at like the height of his popularity. People were like right. all about Jesus in this moment because he'd done stuff. He had done things and taken actions that really aligned with their vision of what a Messiah was supposed to be. Um, he'd healed some people. He had done some miracles. He um, had, 
you know, started to shake up some of the religious order and kind of spoken against um, the, the governmental order of the day um, and promising some of the restoration of, of Jerusalem. And in many of the other gospel texts, right after Jesus comes into Jerusalem is the moment he goes into the temple and, and turns the tables over. Mm-hmm. Um, and here, what I think is really interesting that I also notice is at the end of him coming into Jerusalem, he kind of stops and looks around. And, um, but he's starting to make the turn of like the anti, anti-hero, the anti-Messiah like uh, uh, triumphal leader. But I think that for many people, they were like seeing what they wanted to see of Jesus's actions. And that was like increasing his popularity. And I just, I hear you so much on like where and when are we willing to trust who's saying what and, um, and how frustrating it is when it's like, the, the, I think the people who have the most clarity about what needs to be done are exactly black queer youth, for example, of like, hey, we see the problems. We have several solutions that yeah. like will be liberating for a, a lot of us and restore justice, restorative justice to many of us. So like, why can't we just get behind that before yeah. they have, we have to go through all the miracles and the hoopla? Exactly, right. And so not to say that, right, it, Jesus had to go through all of that to get to that point. <laughs> um, and still, when he really um, kind of took a, a turn to, in more, more radicalized ways, right, it ended in his, in his persecution. But at that point, because of his various actions, because of this kind of like, what I would name in connection to abolition, what it looks like, how he was able to prove himself and legitimize himself um, in the eyes of the the community, and now got him to this point where his word was powerful, um, to the point that people were unifying to blow, put cloaks down, to put branches down, right? An act of adoration, an act of awe, um, is a beautiful thing, and also feel like it shouldn't have to be all that. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I think that's, I, I just, I just want to hold that up because I think it's so, it's so real. And part of the work of abolition is inviting us into reorienting in our brains, like, who are we, who are we assigning power and privilege to? Who are we like giving the authority to speak on, on particular issues or, or like, you know, yeah, assigning, um, noticing like when this person speaks, I listen (laughs) and and otherwise, man, it doesn't matter. If if it makes me uncomfortable, especially, I'm not going to do it or listen to it. Um, Yeah, like Jesus had to build clout to be able to to convince people. But what I also noticed earlier in the text, Jesus is clear throughout. He's like, listen, y'all are gonna hate me for this. Like this isn't gonna go well, eventually. I'm very clear (laughs) that, you know, that there's going to come a time when the fullness of the vision that I'm, I'm laying out here isn't going to square with what you want to believe in. Um, so it's almost like Jesus reluctantly is kind of like, you know, now you trust me. Right, <laughs> um, right. Now you trust me. I'm going to get the smallest cult imaginable and like walk in in, in this city. Um, mm. Well, I kind of think we're ready to maybe move into the second reading around around resistance um, and you, you brought us to that question so powerfully and I think we can see what else is there for us mm-hmm. to hear the text a second time and I'm happy to read it through this time um, and look at and listen for how this text calls us to resistance and I name every time that resistance can be both how we're called to, to enact resistance to be part of the resistance um, to empire and status quo. And sometimes it's about noticing where we are feeling resistant and what kind of resistance bubbles up in us. Because to me, that's a really powerful invitation of exploration. And we always find something really, I don't know, important there. Yeah. Okay. That said, let's read Mark 11 verses 1 through 11. And I'm reading the New Revised Standard Version. When they were approaching Jerusalem, 
at Bethphage and Bethany, near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village ahead of you. And immediately as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Just say this, the Lord needs it and will send it back here immediately. They went away and found a colt tied near a door, door outside in the street. As they were untying it, some of the bystanders said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? They told them what Jesus had said and they allowed, him, allowed them to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it and he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road and others spread leafy branches that they had cut in the fields. Then those who went ahead and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Then he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. That ends the reading. Resistance. What came up for you, Samantha? Yeah. I'm still honestly on the, <laughs> on just the amount of praise that Jesus got um, entering into, into the city. Um, but the other piece, it, there's a couple pieces around re resistance. Um, so I think it's important to name the, the form of resistance that the bystanders displayed, while minor, but the questioning mm -hmm. of an action um, is, a, is, is resistance um, and one that shows up often in abolition, um, the need to question, the need to have a full understanding of what is happening um, mm -hmm. before you kind of give allowance um, for this action to take place. But there's also a form of resistance um, from the actors and from Jesus to name, this is something that hasn't been done before. Um, this is something that's not traditional, not usually thought of, um, that we're going to, and yet we're gonna move forward with it. Um, and we're going to resist kind of the status quo or what is expected um, in order for me to be able to do the work that needs to be done. Mm. Yeah, really the naming of, of questioning as almost like a, a sacred task in the work of abolition that to, to invite questions and to, to think together about why a certain action is happening or what the needs are for that action. I, I hear, maybe I'm wrong, but I'm hearing you say that, that there's a, there's a powerful part to be played in that of, okay, like before we go ahead and do something, let's like look about it, look at it from a couple of different angles. Yeah, I thought I was on mute. That always tricks you up on Zoom calls. Um, yeah, so I, in, in both ways. So I think there is a necessity to question um, what is happening and why it's happening. Um, and all of the various ways that it impacts people. But I also want to name that there can be harm in questioning um, specific things, particularly when it's not rooted um, in like the sake of liberation and it's rooted solely in our own biases um, or our own kind of individual uh, perceptions of what's needed and what's not. So depending on what the questioning is, in, <laughs> is for the sake of, absolutely questioning it can be extremely powerful and is necessary um, in this work for abolition. Right. Yeah, I noticed that the questioners about the untying the cult were bystanders. It wasn't even the owner of the cult or whoever <laughs> had originally brought it to town. And part of me is like, yeah, is, are you wondering if someone's trying to like steal that cult? <laughs> and like, you know, what, what purpose are you untying it for? And I, I thought, um, you know, we talk a lot about bystander interventions and when as bystanders, are we seeing something that needs additional participation of our cell phones, of our questions, of our, you know, 
witness. And I sometimes like, I think in my mind in the past, I've kind of given the the bystanders in this text kind of a a little bit of a, a bad rap. I'm like, really guys? Like, you know, um, are you trying to get in the way of this? But in this text, it really feels like, yeah, they were just watching, observing. They asked a neutral question. Mm-hmm. They answered and it's like, okay, that tracks. You'll bring it back. I got you. <laughs> we'll let the owner know maybe <laughs> if he was yeah. there around. Um, I think it's really interesting. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I, I appreciate that offer because I, I am going back and forth. Like, do I like these bystanders? I don't know. <laughs> um, I, I appreciate the end result, right? And then I'm like, okay, go ahead. And bystander intervention, thank you for naming that. It's such an important part when it comes to building community and building communities to the point where we can keep ourselves safe. Um, and so this responsibility we have as neighbors um, and as siblings um, to, to support each other and look out for each other. Right. The other part of me though is right, bystanders um, who, 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 who don't check their biases um, and who make what could be a very harmful situation extremely uh, fatal in some cases. So I think particularly this year, right? I think of all of the bystanders who called the cops on black folk for being black and in some cases ended up in their death, right? And so there is like a fine line, but I agree when you follow the text all the way through, it is really the, the point of our responsibility to support each other and be in community with each other mm-hmm. to keep each other safe and also ensuring that we're not having a harmful or negative impact because of our own biases. Right. Yeah. And it seems like Jesus was really ready for this and maybe he was ready for it. Be, it I see that in two ways of like, one, perhaps it was as it was foretold, that kind of readiness. Like, right. This, this kind of has to happen so that this can happen. But on the other hand, maybe Jesus knows what it's like to be suspected all the time. And like, they're, they're going to see these two kind of ragamuffin disciples coming in to untie a cult. Um, they're going to be suspicious of you. And so here's how you handle that situation. You know, like, um, I, I think the, the other side of like having to be on the, on the ready for like if someone's following you in a store or someone's trying to about to call the cops on you for existing as a black person or a brown person. And um, so I think, I think it is complicated in this text, even it's not clear necessarily how we're supposed to view the bystanders, but perhaps that's more true of real life anyway, that yeah. bystanders can be a blessing or a curse or neutral or, uh, or so far removed from a situation. You're like, were you even there? <laughs> when something horrible was happening like yeah. you didn't see that um and so yeah. yeah the other thing that comes up for me um and i appreciate how we are naming some some of the nuance here like it really could be um either way and interpreted differently um but i named earlier my frustration around um the the piece of people throwing the cloaks on the road and um, spreading the the leafy branches as uh, like, did it have to be Jesus at the height of his time to receive that? Uh, But also wanna name that that could be a form of resistance with Jesus who at some point before this and after had a bad rap, right? Um, Who was actively engaging in something that wasn't traditional. Um, Oftentimes what we see around any type of movement work is this celebration a celebration and this amplification of individual and collective acts of resistance, right? So like, how do we unite together to make this one small act even louder? Um, And so you have this one small act of Jesus riding this little cult um, down what I imagine a dirt path and everyone is uniting against them to amplify this one act of existence into a much larger, uh, more beautiful act. Mm, that's right because I, I think this text is so rich with layers of meaning and I think for folks who were present or even reading this immediately you know in the 100 or 200 or 300 years after Jesus would have seen so many different metaphorical connections back to some of uh 
what had been foretold in different prophetic books, um, had recognized the, 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 the piece around entering a city um, supposedly triumphant, but in a way Jesus knows this is political theater and we can, we can do this quietly or we can do this yeah. big Yeah. and let's do it big because yeah. um, like you were saying, the amplification Appreciate political theater. Yeah. <laughs> As a theater wonk, we, we knew this coming in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If only there'd been a, a political theater also sing along um, if we wanted to, you know, really do it up. But I was reading something that, that I hadn't noticed before and doing a little prep for this. So I've always, we talk about this as quote, Palm Sunday, where people wave the palm branches um, as Jesus comes into Jerusalem as this act of, of honoring someone who is considered royal. But they were noting that the Mark text that we've read, they only say they, they're putting cloaks and then basically branches that they'd cut in the fields. It's not specified as palms. Mm -hmm. And so they're doing something really interesting here. The writer of Mark is doing something really interesting here around he's, they're actively saying this is not a, a like pretend royalty that they're like, it is that action of like almost the anti, the anti royalist of like, we're not going to treat you like royal because that's not what we want. Or like, that's not what we know your, your message is. I think, uh -huh. uh, which is like, again, <laughs> the layers upon layers of meaning uh -huh. that I had just been like, yeah, palms. Um, but yeah, I love that. Yeah, I love that. And, and just thinking about the <laughs> theater and the ways in which like political actions that sometimes seem so minor are exemplified by, and seem so intentional. Mm -hmm. um, this, this is the first time I'm hearing this and I never made that distinction um, prior to this conversation. And that feels intentional, um, which is important. And I think to the theme of uniting for like a political moment, pol political theater moment, like we want to look even more deeply united than maybe we have differences among us. Maybe we don't always agree that Jesus is the Messiah or what the Messiah means. But for this moment, we're going to show up as one to really stick it to the authorities to say, no, y'all better pay attention to this person because yeah. he's been teaching us a new way of being. And here he comes into the city and um, what are you going to do about it? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, um, I don't know if I named what I, what I saw as an act of resistance. Um, I think that, that something that really jumped out to me in reading this again is the immediately, immediately word, which is used, Mark uses a lot throughout his gospel. He loves the word immediately. And um, because it's like this and then this and then this, it's like too fast, like, it's kind of like the white rabbit in Alice in Wonderland, like no yeah. time to say uh, uh, hello, goodbye, I'm late, I'm late, I'm late. And yeah. um, it's interesting to know where that word gets used in this text and then where it doesn't. So it's like, they get the cult, we're going to send it back immediately. And then um, there was some, like, go to the, like, immediately you'll find the cult, immediately we'll bring back, bring it back after we're done. Um, and then at the end, this very last verse, I had never ever noticed before um, until reading it today was that once, once the action is done, Jesus kind of looks around at everything and then he leaves with back to Bethany. And it's interesting, he's not even staying in Jerusalem, but like in a town a couple miles away. Um, and I think there's something about resistance there around this like immediate action and then reflection, planning, taking a breath, like I'm not quite sure what to make of it in the purposes of the text, but to me it brings up, you know, when we are doing something huge, it feels like when we're in the midst of like action, in the midst of organizing and, and um, uprising, it's like everything feels immediate. Yeah. And it is. It like what we do today and then tomorrow and the next day, like it really, really matters and it, you can't really take a break and rest. I mean, though yeah. different people should, you know, like we can cycle out, but I don't know this idea that at the end of this, he's looking around. I'm, I'm struck by it. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, 
I, I do think there is a part of the latter of him looking around. Um, and yeah, even though I read it multiple times, did not think to name that he wasn't staying in Jerusalem, but it's just so true to like what we know of, of Jesus and, and his work um, to marvel at the work that has been done and the work to come. I think is a really important aspect of movement work that we don't always allow ourselves to do. Um, and also, it felt when I read it, it felt more like a, a centering or regrounding um, act of acknowledging all of the work that has happened into this, the impact that it has had on our our emotional or mental state, and taking a time to right to to take our deep breaths um, to to show some appreciation, but more so just to get regrounded and who we are and what we're up to. Yeah, um, yeah it's, really it's a really beautiful piece. The other thing that I would name is the use of immediately really struck me even in the beginning and I named it to you earlier as a, a word that uh, stood out to me. Mm -hmm. And the reason why is because when I think about in the context of abolition or any type of radical work, um, radical work is needed, like urgency is needed when doing radical work. Um, and the timing of actions, the timing of political shifts are key to us getting to where we ultimately need to go. Um, there is a, a person who I organize with often, um, Jomo, and, and um, his coaching, he talked to this group of kind of young organizers about the importance of time. And he talked about it in the way, um, when we think about any type of movement work, radical movement work for Black liberation. So whether that's Harriet trying to free enslaved people, whether that's um, the civil rights movement, whether that's the Black Panther Party, right? Like uh, coordinated action. How important was that time to our survival, mm. right? If Harriet told you to be somewhere <laughs> at 12.05 and you showed up at 12.10, that could have fatal consequences. That's right. Um, and that's similar to the work, right? Like now we are in a movement of abolition. We have been, but now like energy is flowing. Now is the time. Um, for various aspects of um, abolition to happen. Yeah. And our delay in many ways is life-threatening. DC Council here had the ability to divest from police, to remove police from schools, um, and they did not. And within this summer, two Black men have been killed by MPD, yeah. right? So our delay and our willingness or unwillingness to lean into urgency is literally fatal to those who are most marginalized. Mm. Thank you for naming that. Ooh. And I like I also hear in that too that part of like there's like the tension between the immediacy, we have to do it now, and the like generations of work that it takes to build upon all the immediate moments that we've leveraged or played from or used to try and like open the gates of liberation a little wider. Um yeah. and how you know, I, I can remember my like young organizing days. The first march I ever attended in DC, I can I was in college and I I I drove, I sat on the bus. It was the women's march back in 2004. Um, and I sat on the bus and I was like, oh my gosh, there's so many people coming to DC. Is is the like, is it I, I fully in my mind expected like then President George Bush was gonna come out and like have a revelation because all these like women were like amassing on DC. And I remember that moment of like, I had been organizing back on my college campus too. And, and, and feeling that, that deep urgency and the disappointment when it didn't change anything, or I didn't uh -huh. see the change immediately. Uh -huh. And, um, and how organizing, sometimes you get that huge win and you see it and it's amazing. And you got to look around you've got to look around at the, I imagine Jesus looking around at like the cloaks that are still on the, on the ground and maybe some of the broken branches, like the, the aftermath of an action that had a lot of joy and, and celebration and, and power and potency to it. 
Um, so sometimes you get those moments, but other times you're like, I'm doing this. I have no idea how it's going to pay off. Ultimately. Yeah. No idea. <laughs> no idea. But I will say that being at that march changed me. It helped me. I don't know, like it, it nourished me in some ways. I, I remember running into people when I was first in DC of like, hey, were you there, you know, five years ago? It wasn't that long when I first, I moved in 2008. So it was only four years from that. And like, it became a touchstone for so many folks. Um, and maybe that was the most amount of like organizing feminists, like queer people we'd ever been around yeah. um, in some ways. And so I do think sometimes political theater and Jesus's movement here, maybe, maybe it was for Jesus and like shoring him up and, and filling him up. Maybe it was against the leadership of the day to say, look, this movement is growing. But also I think it was for the people who threw their clothes on the ground. Those who mm -hmm. did unite in this moment to say, mm -hmm. hey, remember that? Remember when we felt empowered to like step out of the shadows and like really be a force together? Yep. To me, that's happy. Um, victory of an action, no matter what happens. Yeah, love that. Mm, okay, should we move to our third reading? Let's go for it. Let's go for it. Okay, would you be willing to read it for the third time and we'll see what vision for the work of abolition that we've named a number of them, but what additional ones come forward? Sure. Thank you. Um, so again, reading Mark 11, one through 11. When they were approaching Jerusalem at Bethpage and Bethany near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village ahead of you and immediately as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden, unite it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Just say this, the Lord needs it and will send it back here immediately. They went away and found a colt tied near a door outside in the street. As they were untying it, some of the bystanders said to them, what are you doing untying that colt? They told them what Jesus had said and they allowed them to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it and he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the, on the road and others spread leafy branches that they had cut in the fields. Then those who went ahead and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David, Hosanna in the highest heaven. Then he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. Did a vision for further work of abolition come through for you? It did every time I reread it. Uh, <laughs> um, so, to in I'm introducing something new into this conversation, um, the cult. We haven't really talked about this cult. Um, and what struck to me was my my vision of abolition is for the most marginalized among us um, to be valued, mm -hmm. to be seen um, in our full humanity and our full potential, um, to be cloaked, <laughs> um, to be, to be uh, seen as a tool of the Messiah, a tool of, of liberation um, and like a key component to it. And so here we have this cult who is tied to a door who has never been ridden, who by definition is probably small and, and, a, and a baby. Um, but it was really the cult who made this all possible. Mm. Right? The, the person or the thing that we think of least that our liberation relies on. Um, and so for me, abolition is so much about and op operating from a black queer feminist lens, right? It's so much about pouring into those areas that don't get the water, that don't get the sunlight. Um, and knowing that when we do that, when we, when we invest in those areas and those people, when we trust in their leadership, when we believe um, and, um, and see their solutions, we all, right, we all are free. We all see liberation. Um, and so the cult represents that for me. Yes. 
Oh, I love that. I really, really appreciate that. And, and even the connection, I take it also of like, abolition as not just about people, but about our earth and creatures and the way we treat um, animals and nature that, that I think our, our, our systems of domination are not just concentrated on people, but on animals and and the environment as well. And and I think the cult as a metaphor and the cult as a literal animal that Jesus uplifts to say, you know, this, this the most humble of animals, mm-hmm. the most humble of, of um, beings is gonna participate in this at the center. I'm centering it. And, yep. um, and maybe we're gonna walk slower because it's still learning how to have a human rider, maybe, maybe we're gonna walk really fast because it wants to gallop, right? Like we're gonna follow the pace of this cult because I want, and, and I acknowledge that it, it too should be a center of, of what this is about. And that's really Absolutely. amazing. Yeah. Ooh, the thing that came for me, it's something I think you brought up earlier, but I just wanna draw it back in is the trust piece the trust of the leadership vision of Jesus when um, not because he's the most grand aggrandized or not because he's the one that has built the most clout, but his vision's so clear and he, he's so clear about it um, that there's a deep well of trust for Jesus and for what this action can do. I'm not sure the disciples always even see that. Like what, what is gonna be the end result of walking through, like doing something very extreme. Like we're walking through Jerusalem with a parade. You know, this is not low key. <laughs> this is very um, public, visible. And um, the trust that it takes to be able to go find the cult, talk to the bystanders, bring the cult back, I don't know if there was like a hype person in the crowd trying to get people like um, to participate, but there's a deep act of trust here. And I think the work of abolition, I talked in a couple episodes back around the work of followership, of following those yeah. that we we trust. And, and I think disciples sometimes show that really well and sometimes not so well of like, um, they're a little bit like herding cats, but I see in this a deep act of trust and I'm feeling called to that as a vision of abolition too. Yeah, absolutely. And an act of trust from every end. Um, and so love how you name right all of the individual actions and all the ways that people, we had to trust each other, not just Jesus who um, even I like identified as kind of like the leader of this and the center of this, um, but recognizing that the role that we all play, no matter how small, is a part of this like bigger vision and this bigger collective um, action. Uh, and I, it strikes me as just a core organizing principle um, that often that people often share around kind of uh, trusting the collective, knowing mm-hmm. we're all on, in this fight together. And at some point, we need to let go of our individual kind of perceptions and desires and trust in the collective that you are on this journey with me and we are all making decisions um, for, for the same sake, for that, that unified sake of liberation. Um, and so yeah. we saw that all throughout, whether that was Jesus trusting the folk who went and, and took this cult, um, to the bystanders trusting those individuals to mm. there's all these elements of trust um, that really speak about the power of unity and, and the power of collective uh, and then there's also this challenge i feel around um which i embrace and believe in but there's often in, in areas of abolition and in movement work more broadly this feeling that you need to identify that one leader Right, yeah. so I, as I acknowledge, I did that uh, throughout this conversation, identifying Jesus as the leader. Um, and in reality, knowing Ella Baker is critical of the civil rights movement for doing this um, and naming the one leader and how that actually hinders us when we look to one person as the leader 
um, of all things. And so recognizing each and every one of us as, as leaders um, in this work and, and trusting um, our individual abilities, but also the collective um, yeah. towards this work, so. Yes, ooh, that's, I think that's again, another powerful offering of, I heard in what you were naming, like decentering trust. Like it's not just, we trust inward to the one hub of the wheel of us, but Jesus maybe had the initial vision from whatever sacred task he's been given, like his relationship to God and what mission he's on. But he trusts the disciples to go to Jerusalem. They trust the cult. I mean, let's not forget that act of trust. <laughs> I'm saying. Um, my partner is has grown up around horses. So I've learned a lot about horses and how- Yeah, you really gotta trust them. Oh boy, they will mess <laughs> you up if you do not trust them. Um, and so just holding that. And then the bystanders trusted them. They trust, the disciples trusted the bystanders to like ultimately see the point they were trying to make. And then to to come out of the woodwork with your cloak and lay it on the ground is a supreme act of trust. Well, cause could you imagine, I talk to our young people about this all the time. Like if we're gonna do this, we all have to do this. Cause if I only throw out my cloak, <laughs> it's gonna have a much different impact and consequence if only one of us does this. So we really need to trust each other. <laughs> and commit to doing this all together. You're just gonna have a dusty, <laughs> trampled cloak. Right, exactly. <laughs> and in an act of rebellion, right? I don't, I don't know. I imagine the police state being surrounded all over there, right? And so if I'm the only one that throws out the cloak, I'm the only one that gets arrested. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it just really does speak to how important that, and I appreciate you naming as decentering trust, that act of decentering trust is, but also commitment, right? Mm -hmm. Like when you're in this, you, you have to be in this right. um, and be true to your commitment um, towards abolition um, or towards right, leaning right. <laughs> um, in abolition and, and, and liberation. Right, yeah, trust is not for trust's sake. It requires and invites us to action to commitment, absolutely to participation um, in the bigger picture, and I, I think, yeah, maybe maybe trust is one is one metric to to hold for ourselves around this this collective of it's not it's not trying to empower one leader, but what is what is the what is the trust of the of the community inviting us to do? Sometimes mm -hmm. maybe it's sending this one person to go speak, you know, to do a thing because of some of the trust they hold, but also it's to collective action and movement building and bringing in more people that we trust and that can right. trust us because that ripple effect is what organizing is all about. Yeah, and building and part of building power, which is the really where we're getting at. A part of this liberation is ensuring that we have our own agency and aut autonomy over the lives that we live. And in order for that to happen, we need to have power. Um, remembering we have, we've talked about in some face, right? Jesus was like shifting a, a imp, literally an empire, right? Um, and, and, and that sense, we, we need folk to be committed to that trust, committed to that, that individual, as well as that collective action, um, for the sake of what, and for me, that's, that's liberation. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I talk a lot and I'm coming to really, it sounds silly, but recognize the power of belief of something that carries you through when it's the the hardest thing you're doing or you don't see a, a path to to liberation sometimes or how it's going to happen but this conversation has really reminded me of the power of trust as part of that as like one of the mo the biggest gifts we can give somebody is trusting them mm -hmm. um and can we can receive is being trusted and that the like you know, building upon that, it is what does build the power for collective. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. And I don't want to overestimate the importance of trust, but I will say it, it is key from the abolition uh, framework that in my mind, when we put it in one of the simplest forms, so I named fear earlier as why people hesitate around abolition, but it really does fall on trust is you don't trust this person, these people enough to commit to their vision. 
and what would it mean if we just actively practice that to say, I trust these, these black organizers, these queer folk, these poor folk, I trust them enough to add some capacity to the work that they're doing, to invest in that, to lean into that, um, to act um, for the sake of that. Yeah. And I, I think it also gives an avenue of repair when trust gets broken, like mm -hmm. that we're not perfect people. And for all kinds of reasons, sometimes trust might be broken. And instead of saying, well, bye. But like, you know, if, if are there avenues, I think getting out of a punitive system of justice, um, which is to me, one of the calls of abolition is to yeah. help us move past the, all, the, all the ways in which punitive justice comes up in our, in the literal sense of schools, pr prisons, et cetera. But also I think some of our interactions with each other get to that, like reinforce punitive systems of justice. And what does repairing trust look like beyond, mm -hmm. um, I think there's lots of avenues for that beyond punitive justice. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And part of what, for me, what that takes in some ways um, and even bring, going back to the bystanders, um, is they were, and again, want to acknowledge bystanders can be really harmful as well. But what, where I'm going with this is in some ways they were leaning into what could have been conflict. Um, and I feel like we tend to be extremely conflict averse as a society. Um, and so much growth comes from leaning into conflict, naming the concerns, um, asking the questions, doing the agitation um, so that we can grow together um, yeah. in a more generative, um, fulfilling way. Mm. Amen to that. Wow. Okay. Our final question for ourselves is what's something that we want to, I don't know, practice or take with us as a result of this conversation? Is there something that you want to hold for yourself I mean, the whole, can I just take the whole conversation and listen to it? We literally can't, we're recording it. You can <laughs> Over have. and over again. Um, a couple things, I think if I were to name one, it's just a continued for me, just to continue to practice um, honoring and acknowledging the many ways all of us ha have contributed towards abolition and towards liberation. Um, the, the cult is really sticking out to me and how I missed that in the beginning um, has just like challenged me to, to think a little bit more intentionally about who I am naming and who I'm lifting up as, as the leader mm. um, and and thinking in a way that's much more inclusive, in a way that is much more um, just grounded in a core belief of mine, which is to like center the most marginalized among us. And so my my challenge is really questioning like, what am I doing to do that on a day-to-day -day basis? Even as someone who is marginalized and oppressed in many ways, what am I doing um, to, to uplift and acknowledge the work and the, the life, the lives of, of folk um, around me. Yeah, yeah, the cult is such a, like, I want a little cult tattoo or something. Like, I want to like hold this close to me because I, I think our society has, has rigged our minds to forget the cult and not recognize the gifts of, uh, that it is bringing and has brought. It's the invisible labor, it's the invisible work, it's the invisible humanity. Um, yeah. or, um, if you are truly a cult, um, the, the creaturely um, presence. Um, to me, I think one of the things that I want to, the, the, the add piece, adding on piece to that is like decentering trust and just mm -hmm. noticing if I'm falling into that trap of white supremacy of like, there's one leader or like there's, there's one way trust goes. And, um, but that the trust is more of a web than mm -hmm. a spoke. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. 
Samantha, what a great convo. I really Such an amazing convo. Had no idea what to expect, but I, I'm, I'm <laughs> really grateful for sharing this space with you. Absolutely. Me too. And we were off at a gallop and I appreciate you just leaning into the, the richness that this text brought and the questions that it invited us to ask and consider. And it's been, it's been a blessing to be with you in this moment. Likewise, likewise. Yeah. And to all of those watching, we appreciate you. We'll be back next week um, at 2 p.m. And um, take care until then. Bye for now. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to Liberation Bible Study. This podcast is a project of More Light Presbyterians. Tune into our Facebook page at More Light Presby to participate in the live conversation Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern. If you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe. Talk next week. Bye.